Hello, and welcome again to the Here and Now podcast from Federated Hermes. I'm Linda Dissel, Senior Equity Strategist, and today I'm joined via phone by Don Ellenberger, Senior Portfolio Manager and Head of Multi-Sector Strategies. Hello, Don. Despite unprecedented fiscal stimulus, with the stock market making new record highs, we're seeing long-term Treasury yields hit and hold near record lows while inflation is missing in action. How long can this last? Aren't these conflicting messages? Well, Linda, it's a pleasure to, to chat with you today. You know, I was reading something by Deutsche Bank the other day, and they said that Treasury yields are the lowest they've been since 1790. That's a span of 230 years. The average Crazy. yield on the Treasury bond index, I know. I mean, the average yield on the Treasury bond index, which includes bonds with maturities from one to 30 years, is only 0.5%. The big reason Treasury yields are so low, you know, in addition to the market's complacency on inflation, which I'll talk about in a minute, you know, is, of course, the Fed's massive bond buying program, which is supporting not only the bond market and keeping the rates slow, but it's supporting the stock market as well. Now, the Fed is buying $80 billion of treasuries every single month and $40 billion of government mortgages and a host of other types of bonds as well. The Fed can do this because they have a superpower no other institution on earth has. The Fed can create an infinite amount of dollars literally out of thin air. And they're using that superpower to buy treasuries and other types of bonds to both maintain liquidity in the bond market and to lower borrowing costs for consumers and businesses in order to support the recovery from the COVID-19 recession. And it's not just the Fed that's putting a lid on interest rates. Central banks across the world are artificially suppressing sovereign bond yields. Some are even forcing yields into negative territory. If you're an investor in European and Japanese bonds with negative yields, you're paying those governments for the privilege of lending money to them when you buy their bonds. I mean, it's crazy. Those bonds actually eat your money. Here in the U.S., the Fed hasn't thrown negative rates out of its toolbox, but it's very clear from what they're telling us that they don't like negative rates because it hurts bank revenue. And remember, banks are the vehicle through which the Fed conducts monetary policy. Negative rates would crash money market funds. And they really haven't worked very well in Europe or in Japan. Um, And Linda, you also asked, how long can this go on? How long can Treasury yields stay at Mm 230-year lows? The answer is, as long as the Fed wants, up to them. And the Fed is in no hurry to raise rates anytime soon. That's because it's going to be a long slog to get the unemployment rate down from 10% all the way back to 4%, which is where the Fed wants it. That's what they consider full employment. And on top of that, the Fed is likely to announce later this year a move to an average inflation targeting regime. That means that because the Fed is worried that weak economic growth would create disinflation or even worse, maybe even deflation, the Fed's not going to raise rates even when the economy recovers from the recession and even if and when inflation finally starts to move higher. The Fed wants inflation to overshoot its 2% target for a while in order to anchor inflation expectations in positive territory and make up for years of undershooting their 2% target. So 
the next couple of years, the Fed may allow long-term interest rates to rise a little bit if that increase is driven by organic domestic economic growth and not by illiquidity or panic selling, which we saw back in March. Uh, but short-term rates, say five years and in, they ain't going anywhere. Wow, that's, that it really is crazy. If you're saying that they're going to wait until a 10% unemployment rate gets all the way down to 4%, I do wonder when that is. And we on the equity side, you know, we, we kind of, we love low interest rates. We love an easy Fed. And when, when our leader says we're not going to think about, think about thinking about raising interest rates, I, that seems like a, a green light. But when you said printing an infinite amount of dollars literally out of thin air, this leads to my next question. It seems that modern monetary theory, as espoused by Bernie Sanders and AOC, is now modern monetary policy. At what point should we be concerned, then, about a deficit that's growing by the trillions, Doc? Okay, so good question. Modern monetary theory, maybe I'm oversimplifying a little bit, but basically what it says is that a country like the United States that's able to issue debt in its own currency, can print and spend as much money as it wants and never worry about how big the budget deficit gets. Because according to modern monetary theory, the only constraint on government borrowing and spending is inflation. Because inflation wipes out a big chunk of the real or inflation-adjusted return to buyers of government debt. A spike in inflation would cause Treasury bond investors to demand much higher yields which would then lead to unsustainable debt service costs for the government and cause this whole stack of cards to collapse in on itself. If the government can't roll over its debt because private investors don't show up at treasury bond auctions, or if investors demand too high of a yield, then the Fed would be forced to step up as the buyer of last resort and buy all the government's excess debt issuance. But that would only exacerbate any inflation problem as all that money from the Fed gets recirculated back into the economy and money supply growth rockets higher. Now, here's the key point. An exhaustive academic study done a few years ago looked at 133 countries over a span of 40 years, and it found that inflation almost always goes up when two conditions are in place. Number one high government debt levels, and number two, rapid growth in money supply. So no matter how you look at it, according to modern monetary theory, inflation is the only thing preventing the government from sending me, you, and everybody else a check for $100 million. Interestingly enough, those two ingredients I mentioned that sow the seeds of inflation, high government debt levels and rapid growth in money supply, both of those are actually in place Right now, the federal debt was 80% of U.S. GDP in January, but by December, it will have jumped to 100% of GDP. That's the highest level since World War II. M2, money supply growth, has started to come off the boil because the phase four stimulus plan has been delayed, but it's still running at a 23% annualized pace. And don't forget, with the Fed's policy focus, has had a seismic shift in recent months. In the past, the Fed was focused on putting a lid on inflation. Now the Fed is trying to put a floor under inflation. So inflation is the key to whether or not the deficit growing by the trillions is ultimately sustainable. 
Right now, with Treasury inflation protection securities pricing in less than 2% inflation on average over the next 30 years, the market's telling us that there's absolutely no chance of a significant spike in inflation. But is that complacency justified? In addition to the growth in the deficit and the money supply, there's another important reason to think there could be a little bit of a pickup in inflation down the road. The federal government's fiscal policy program and the Federal Reserve's monetary policy initiatives for the first for, for decades had always been independent of one another. And that's been a good thing. But now, for the first time since the Fed adopted a monetarist approach to policy in the late 1970s, the assumption that the Fed's actions are independent of fiscal policies, that's no longer valid. Today, the Federal Reserve and the government have become intertwined. The Fed is underwriting the ballooning federal debt while pegging interest rates below market clearing levels. So in effect, the Fed is working hand-in-hand with politicians to help the economy recover from the COVID-19 recession by basically lending its balance sheet to Congress to pay for trillions of dollars in checks to consumers and loans to businesses. While that's certainly the right thing to do as the economy struggles with the coronavirus, there are long-term repercussions from the Fed handing its checkbook over to Congress, and inflation could be one of them. Certainly not 10%, certainly not 5%, but enough that investors should not ignore this terrorist. So the answer to your question about when we should start to be concerned about the growing federal deficit is when inflation starts to heat up. Here I always thought the bond market was boring, and you have made it very, very interesting here, Don. Some of the unprecedented (laughs) comments that you're making. (laughs) And so now... Can the best fixed income opportunities be found in this mind-twisting environment? <laughs> mind-twisting. I, I like that, Linda. Um, okay, so, <laughs> so, so the first rule, buy what the Fed is buying, but that also has some yield. I personally like corporate bonds, investment grade and high yield. Avoid nominal treasuries with yields so low and the Fed reluctant to take rates negative, there's very little income very little total return upside, and very little protection if stocks decide to crash again. Second rule, own some inflation protection securities. They're cheap to the Fed's 2% inflation target, and they can actually increase in value if inflation rises. So they're a good hedge for any investor's portfolio. Corporate bonds, you know, I mean, they can also benefit from mild inflation because that means the companies have some pricing power which increases revenue. That's a good thing. But a bigger spike in inflation, say above 3%, while not our call it federated, I mean, that would hurt all bonds except for inflation-protected securities. And I'll leave this to Linda, but I'm guessing it would probably hurt stocks as well if that forces the Fed to start aggressively tightening monetary policy. Excellent. So with a, with a very, very friendly Fed, corporate bonds could be a way to go and to find some income. And uh, I love your idea of inflation-protected securities when in your last comment you just said that that's what we really have to watch out for with this deficit when inflation starts to heat up. So thank you so much, Dawn, and thank you to our listeners. We look forward to you joining us again on the Federated Hermes Here and Now podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to subscribe to the Federated Hermes channel to get every Here and Now episode. 
plus our other series, Amplified and Fundamental, for a global perspective on the issues, challenges, and trends shaping the investment landscape. Views are as of August 21, 2020, and are subject to change based on market conditions and other factors. These views should not be construed as a recommendation for any specific security or sector. Bond prices are sensitive to changes in interest rates, and a rise in interest rates can cause a decline in their prices. High-yield, lower-rated securities generally entail greater market, credit default, and liquidity risks, and may be more volatile than investment-grade securities. International investing involves special risks, including currency risk, increased volatility, political risks, and differences in auditing and other financial standards. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Federated Investment Management Company.